You've heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again. Sometimes I lose things. Sometimes I just think I lose things. But I panic either way. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Welcome to part three of our series entitled Lost Things based in the book of Wook. In week one, I shared about when I lost my briefcase that I thought was stolen out of my car while parked at Cassetta's and then tossed out a window by someone speeding away in the midst of a crime spree. I envisioned this crook disappointed in my briefcase contents, finding no value in my Sam's Club computer, Bible notebook, and lemon drops. I imagined then that this discarded briefcase was then later discovered by someone and brought to the police station and was now sitting at a table waiting for me to call in and identify it. But in actuality, it was just laying on my kitchen counter, white right where I'd left it. More importantly, that week, we talked about how God finds value in each one of us. We looked at the sheep and we saw that God, the shepherd, went out and sought out this one sheep that had strayed away, leaving the 99 behind and coming back and bringing this one into the fold and rejoicing when he did so. We talked about how God seeks to save those who are lost, how he wants each one to live in a fulfilling relationship with him. In week two, I told the story of losing my car in the college parking lot when it was actually sitting in the mall parking lot, right where I had left it. Again, more importantly, we looked at the parable of the woman in the lost coin, and we saw that as was true with the parable of the lost sheep, the tenacity of the one seeking what was lost communicated the value of what was lost. Let me repeat that. The tenacity of the one seeking what was lost communicated the value of what was lost. Ultimately, we saw in both the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, God's intention to seek out human beings who are lost to him and his desire to bring them into a loving relationship with himself. Talk about tenacity, the tenacity of this one who seeks us out. This tenacity sends his son. This tenacity as the son comes and lays down his life for the sheep enabling each one of us to live in right relationship with God, enjoying a loving relationship with him, living as we were designed to live. We all must realize our need to be found by God, to be saved by him. And once we have realized this need and we've allowed God to meet it through his son, Jesus Christ, we also then need to imitate God in this ministry of reconciliation. The third parable we're going to look at today from the book of Luke is likely one of scripture's most famous ones. It is called the parable of the lost son, sometimes called the prodigal son. I'm going to read it for us first. And as I do, I'd love for you to keep your focus on the father. It's easy to get distracted with the sons and what they're doing and saying, but keep your focus on the father. I'm going to read now from Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11 and ending at verse 32. 
To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept across the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. <laughs> The pigs, the people, nobody. No one gave him those pods. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So, he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, as he was practicing, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And before he could even finish his sentences, his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We can are celebrating because of a safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out to him and begged him. But the son replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing. You never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to me, look, dear son, you've stayed by my side. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Who's the father represented in the story? God, right? Absolutely. What about the sons? Let's take a look at this. What about the oldest son first? The son who was irritated that the father's loved someone else, that the father's love extended toward the one who squandered his wealth and, and sinned against him when I myself have been so righteous. Remember our context? Who's Jesus talking to? Crowds, yep, yeah, right? Yep, yeah, for sure. But also to the Pharisees who had just condemned Jesus for spending time with the sinners. Oh, we'd never do that. Not on, not on our life. We are not going to be spending time with sinners. I'm keeping myself unstained by the world. The best way to do that is to draw wider and wider circles around those people. Just like we've drawn wider and wider circles around the Sabbath. We're going to steer clear. That's our motto. But what does Jesus want us to see in this parable? Let's look. He wants us to see the love the Father has for his children 
both of them, the ones, either of them who didn't want to have anything to do with him. Can you imagine the joy the father had when he noticed the dust cloud in the distance with the younger son? He knew it was his son and he took off running. Years ago, our family used to travel to northern Minnesota to meet our friends at a cabin for a long weekend. While we were there, we would take all of our kids, seven between us, to Paul Bunyan Land in Brainerd. We drove up to the park that was filled with carnival rides and food and fun for all ages. We'd scramble out of our vans and race to the gate. The grown-ups would get in line and buy tickets for the day, and the kids always thought that took way too long. While they were in line, they would peer past all the people and see Paul Bunyan sitting down, looming large, waiting to greet them. He was huge. His shoes were a size 80. And sitting down, he was 27 feet tall. And he could talk. He greeted people by name as they walked into his park. It was as if he knew every single person, which he should. It was his land. It was Paul Bunyan land, right? Our kids would walk in slowly and stare up at him, hoping they'd know their names too. And he did. He always did. Well, hello. You must be Kenny and Danny. And is that Greta I see? And Timothy too. Welcome to Paul Bunyan land. Have a great day, kids. Listen to your parents. Our kids would look at him and then they'd look at us and they were always so curious. How on earth did he know them? We'd shrug our shoulders and say, well, he's Paul Bunyan. Like that that meant anything. Well, he's Paul Bunyan. The park had lots of rides. Lots of go in a circle kind of rides, right? Where every ride's exactly the same. You can picture it. You hop on this ride, you're either sitting on a car, a boat, a plane, or tractor or something, and you go in a circle. And your parents wave. And you wave. Timothy was still into those, and the older kids tolerated them. They all loved the train ride, though, that did more than just circles. And they could hardly wait for the rides that bigger kids could go on. We rode rides all day. We took a picture that made it look like we were in jail. We ate lunch. We enjoyed ourselves immensely for most of the day. The kids had been really looking forward to some of the larger rides, which we said we would do after lunch. And finally, the time had come. The dads and moms and kids all get in line for one of the bigger rides. As we got close to the front, I saw something that I was afraid of. You can imagine it. At the front of the line, right next to the guy taking tickets, there was a cardboard cutout of a kid and hash marks running next to him from his feet to the top of his head. There was a big red line drawn horizontally from the top of the hash marks over to the cardboard kid's cap. Even kids that couldn't read knew what this sign said. Sure enough. The cardboard kid was holding a sign that said, you must be this tall to ride this ride. And all the older kids slowly turned and looked at Timothy. And Timothy only looked at the cardboard kid. He ran up to the sign. He stood as tall as he could, but was a few hash marks shy, even with his fluffy hair. He started to cry. I went up to him and picked him up and told him we'd find something else to do. I told everyone else we'd meet them when the ride was done. I put Timothy down and we walked away. We walked around for a bit and looked for a ride that was more exciting than a circle, but not quite as demanding with regard to height. Timothy had seen a helicopter ride that looked like fun, and he ran off to the left to see if there was a cardboard kid. I looked to my right for other options, and then I looked back to my left to see what Timothy had found out. But I didn't see Timothy. 
I ran toward the helicopters. I didn't see him there. I ran around the immediate area. I started to broaden my search. I started enlisting the help if anyone would would listen. He has white blonde hair that kind of sticks up all over. I couldn't even remember what he was wearing. And to this day, I can't even tell you how long we looked. It felt like hours, but it was more likely minutes. The rest of our family and friends saw me running around when they came off their ride. They started looking. I'd been to the information booth earlier, but I decided to go back. I also was wishing this 27-foot-tall while sitting down Paul Bunyan was real so he could just stand up and let me know where my son was. I was frantically praying, knowing God saw him and that he could lead me to him. And then from a distance, in the information booth, I saw a little dust cloud of hair being held by some lady, and I knew it was my son. I ran as fast as I could. I grabbed him in my arms with the intention of never letting him go as I was holding him tightly and kissing him incessantly. I heard from the Paul Bunyan land officials that apparently someone saw him wandering around near the helicopters, thought he was lost, quickly grabbed him and brought him to the information booth before anything bad could happen to him. I was grateful for that, for sure. And there was great rejoicing. Which brings us back to the book of Luke and the story of the lost son, which I wish we could call the story of the lavish love of the father. We saw at the beginning, the youngest son wanted what was due him. Hey, give me what would be mine if you were dead. I can't wait that long. I wish you were already dead so I could just get it. I want it now. So father gave him what he had asked for. The son took the money and ran. He ran away. He ran with the bad crowd. He ran around with prostitutes. He ran out of money. And then eventually he ran out of excuses. He went back home to seek his father's forgiveness. The oldest son also wanted what was due him. He said, I've been perfect. I've done what you've asked. I've never disobeyed. I've slaved for you for years. I want a goat party. I want to be celebrated. I want to be rewarded for my work. You owe me. What does the father do? He seeks. He saves. He loves. He loves. He runs down the road and embraces the son who had been lost, who had lost his way, who lost his inheritance, who lost his fellowship with his father, but now was found. What does the father do? He loves. He hears about his older son, hurt heart, and he goes to him as well. He reminds him that everything he has is his. He reminds them they have a relationship together that in itself is rewarding. And he points out that it is now a time for rejoicing. First John 3, 1 is one of my favorite verses. It says this, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be even called children of God. And that's what we are. <laughs> we are loved by an extravagantly loving father. What about us? What do you think about when you hear this story? We could spend hours breaking this down and we just don't have time. But what do you think? Do you think God owes you? Do you think you've been so good and so obedient and why am I not getting a goat party? If so, maybe we have to stop and ask, wait, what is my motivation? Am I doing what is right because I've been so loved? And out of this love I have back for my father, I want to give back and love for him. From where does the motivation for our good actions flow? Or maybe you think, I just want to take God's grace and do my own thing. I want to serve myself, please myself, spend what I've been given from God on my life, my time, my talents, my money, all these things I've been given from God on myself. 
I want to take my opportunities, my whatever, to satisfy myself. If so, maybe you have to stop and ask, wait, is that what I'm created for? Will this be fun for long? Will it bring happiness? Will this bring ultimate satisfaction? Or will I spend it all until I'm spent and dying dissatisfied? What does Jesus want his hearers to take away from the story he told? Why did he tell it? He wants us to see how deeply the Father loves us all. He wants us to rejoice with him when the lost are found. He wants us to see that he is the treasure and he is the prize. He wants us to love others with a love so deep we can forget about ourselves and forget about demanding. And instead, we can rejoice when others are rejoicing. We can weep when others weep. We can have our focus on a father who loves us so intensely, so extravagantly. He loves us with such tenacity that he has done all it takes to bring us into right relationship with him. And as we bask in that love, from the outflow of this love, we can do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do and bring him glory. Glory.